my name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number, geez, I don't even remember. I do. What is it? 713. 713. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Want to know why I remembered it was 713? Tell me why. Because on today's show, I want to talk a little bit about Taylor Swift and her favorite number happens to be 13, mm-hmm. which is kind of um, coincidental. And I think 13 uh, gets a bad rap. I think it's supposed to be a really special good number and yeah. it actually isn't. Yeah, it got a little got a little demonized. Yes. Got a little turned against us women. Oh, is it like a witch hunt thing? There's some history. Oh, yeah. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Um, so on today's show, we're going to do, we have this thing called um, on our website and it's in the show notes called Ask Us Anything. And we have three questions that we may not get to all three. Um, and then, um, Kathy has some other things that we're going to bring up. What's the topic? Well, um, I wanted to talk about full catastrophe living and I was thinking about it in terms of Taylor Swift because this weekend is, and actually this show is out on a Tuesday and we're doing this a little early. So by the time you guys listen to this, the uh, Taylor Swift weekend in Chicago will be over. And are but, you going to be a part of that? But yes, I will be going Friday. Um, So I will have been by the time you listen to this. So I, I will comment about that later. But I was just thinking about the amount of energy around Taylor Swift and why people like why people connect with her so much. And it's not I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about her specifically, but I wanted to talk about John Kabat-Zinn's um, full catastrophe living, um, which he actually got from Zorba the Greek. That's a whole nother thing. I'll get that. I'll get to that later, but go ahead with the questions and then I'll talk about that. Um, oh, should we do Zen Parenting Moment or no? Um, well, Zen Parenting Moment was about uh, pre-grieving. Yes. I took it from Succession. Um, did a whole show on it last week. Yes, we did a whole show on Succession and my last, uh, actually a different Zen Parenting Moment has probably come out since then. Yeah. But it, I think your point in bringing it up is I do a newsletter every Friday and it's really not even a newsletter. It's just me writing something. It's called a Zen Parenting Moment. So if you want to subscribe to that, just scroll down and do so. And then uh, we also have this thing called Team Zen that we talk about every week. It's a community of Zen Parenting listeners that come together a few times a month. We do Zoom calls. It's interaction with Kathy and I, with an amazing community. We got these micro communities. And then the last thing is our buddy Brad is um, our tech person and our marketing person and our good friend. And we've been doing a lot of these YouTube clips and that we post on social media. On TikTok. So find us on TikTok and on Instagram. So if you um, if you like YouTube, you I go to YouTube all the time. Make sure you subscribe um, to Zen Parenting Radio. So here's our first question. Are you ready, sweetie? I'm ready. All right. Let's see if this works this time. Okay. Hi, Todd and Kathy. This is Shane Adams. I've been listening to you guys since the very beginning, and um, I've learned so much from you over the years. My question for you is, um, I know that your motto is borrowed by Dan Siegel, who's also one of my favorites, um, and that is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. So my question is, how have you gained a deeper self-understanding and increased your self-awareness over the years um, to improve your parenting? What are some of the tools that you've implemented for better self-understanding? There we go. And that is Shane Adams, who is uh, my sister and is also a therapist. So, sweetie, what do you think? Um, so, her Tools question, for self-awareness. Yeah, her question is tools. And thank you, Shane, for using the speak pipe thing. We appreciate it. Um, 
tools for self-awareness. Well, I mean, I kind of feel like we get, as parents, you know, especially when we're starting out, we get pushed into becoming more self-aware, you know, as as I've written about a lot. And as a lot of people have said, parenting becomes a mirror for you. So you get kind of forced to look at your patterns and you get forced to recognize what your triggers are and what bothers you and what like one thing that I realized was very early on is how much I needed and appreciated freedom. And I didn't realize I didn't take into account what having a baby would do to my feelings of freedom. And and I'm not talking the patriotic freedom. I'm talking about like ability to make choices and do what I wanted to do. So what I had to do really early on was to find ways to recognize what meant most to me and what I needed to feel um to feel connected to myself and to feel like I had something to offer. You know, it's a very like, you know, fill your cup kind of thing. Um, but I realized I needed to be alone. I re- I didn't realize I was an introvert until I became a parent. Um, I I think that what I'm getting to is that instead of pushing against the things that our kids pull up, you know, bring up in us, like instead of being like, no, I shouldn't want to be free. I, I should just want to be with my baby all the time, or this is wrong, or I should, you know, be a better mom in this way. It, instead of pushing against what I was feeling, I kind of went into what I'm feeling. Like, why is this? What does this represent? And so everything is in my parenting journey has been okay, this scares me a lot. Why? Is it about my history? Is it about a fear I have for or with my kid? Is it a misplaced um, need for them to fulfill one of my dreams? (laughs) Is it me thinking that if they don't do this, then they won't be quote unquote successful? I've had to redefine success. I've had to redefine every emotion um, and how I experience it. I've had to learn how to process emotions differently. I've had to learn to ask for help. I've had to learn to do really uncomfortable conflict conversations. I don't think there's anything about me except, you know, my essence, you know, who I came here to be that is the same than when JC was born, you know, meaning I've changed so dramatically, maybe not externally, but internally, my insides have been dramatically changed. Yeah. And I guess, um, the way I interpret the question is like, what do I wish I would have done more of when I was a younger parent? And this, I'm piggybacking on everything you just said, sweetie, but really cultivate the idea of getting curious about everything, not curiosity about the outer world, but more getting curious about our inner worlds and how we get triggered and how we react and, um, you know, be willing to investigate everything. Like, oh, wow, this really bothers me. Or, oh, wow, I'm scared to have this conversation with this person. Oh, I'm really scared to disappoint my kid. I wonder what's underneath that. Um, You know, is this love conditional or am I just pretending that it's unconditional, but actually I do need something more. So that that would be my two cents. Yeah. And just really practice listening a lot. Um, I think that the ability to not think you know everything um, is really important. I think that the ability to, it's like, it's both sides of the coin. I have had to learn to speak up about what I need and say, I know I need this. And I've also had to learn how to listen to what others need and not believe that I have all the answers for them. So it's like, I have had to learn to be more, um, confident. And I've also had to learn to be, it's not about being less confident, about being more of an open 
an empty cup. Yeah. You know, like that I don't know everything. Well, and the only other thing that I think of that I think we say more now than we did in the first, whatever, 10 years of this podcast is um, we don't, you know, when people write in or call in or talk to us at a presentation, um, and maybe you've been saying this forever, but like, we don't know your kid. Mm-mm. Like only you know your kid. Mm-hmm. So for for anybody to take advice from us or anybody else, go ahead and solicit information to equip yourself. I'm sure that's probably why you're listening to this podcast, but at the end of the day, just tune into oneself and do it even if it's against what Todd or Kathy would say or what your own mom and dad would say or what this parenting book says. And, you know, you're going to screw up. That's what parenting is. So I think what all these podcasts and books are good for, because any kind of any kind of methodology or advice that's like do A, do B, do C, and then move to the next stage. It's ridiculous. Like I feel like we figured that out really early on with things like sleep training or things like um, your kids should be eating this or doing this at this time. And no book can tell you when that child is going to do that. Like it's nice to have milestones or have an idea. You know, it's like what to expect when you're expecting. When you're pregnant, it's nice to have that book because you're like, okay, I can kind of depend on this maybe happening, but nothing is, is cut and dry. It's like, it's not set in stone. And just having that awareness of that you are, um, you are going along for <laughs> the ride. Yeah. Like you have Buckle to, up. you have to be, um, there was like another thing I was going to say about it and I forgot cause I got lost on the one, the track of the books well, because I a- think about the books and I think about how mad they would make me and it takes me down a totally another path. Right. Like I do, you know, other, Oh, I know what you were saying, Toddy. You were saying that we don't know about your kid. And I think what podcasts and books can do is it allows us to process and think through our own belief systems. I think if you're listening to something like there's a few podcasts I listen to that nothing extreme, but that I don't necessarily agree with everything they're saying. It's not that I'm listening to them to like, you know, to hate on them, but I'm like, ah, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I still listen because it helps me process some of the things that I think, or why do I think that, or wait a second, could they be right? Or should I reconsider that? And I think that's important. So podcasts and books are not about, they're going to give me the answer. It's more about how do I process, you know, how do I get into the discussion in my own mind or with other people about these these challenges I'm facing as a parent. There you go. Okay, we got two more to get through. Okay, you ready? Ahead. I'm ready. Uh, I believe that my oldest, almost eight, is a highly sensitive child. I would love some advice with how to support her while holding boundaries. She'd be quite mean to her younger siblings when she's dysregulated, but quickly goes to shame and negative self-talk when we enforce limits or consequences for behavior. Any tips on how to navigate this and give her tools for self-regulation and self-understanding, with, uh, it would be appreciated. We've done calm down corners and lots of breathing technique practice, but in the moment, she's very resistant and hard to pull out her emotional, pull out of her emotional spiral. Um, my f- two cents on this is it's terribly uncomfortable to observe your child in a meltdown. So my my heart goes out to this mom or dad, I forget if it was a mom or a dad that did this. Um, and you want to keep them safe, right? From themselves and from others. But as long as that's happening, I feel like these emotions need a place to go. And if we're trying to somehow curb it or squash it, um, it's, it's, we don't want to do that, right? 
Yeah. And I think that one of the challenges of when you have a kid who is maybe highly sensitive or struggles with anxiety or, you know, um, you know, neurodiverse, I think when we make everything all about them, mm-hmm. like you're doing it wrong, you need to calm down, you need a corner, you need, and they are, they become like where all the arrows are pointing to them, like yeah. they're the problem versus they might be more, they're sensitive people living in kind of a complex world and maybe the world is the problem really. And and I'm not saying then we, you know, we point at the world, we just have a grand, a, a, a bigger understanding of that we don't need to get our kid to become like everybody else. What we need to do is learn how to know our kid. We need, and I'm saying learn how to know our kid, I'm saying it in that way because we need to do the practices we're trying to share with them. Like I, the practice that, you know, that you just read to me was some, a corner, calm down calm corner. corner yeah. So are you doing calm corner too? And maybe later or in a different situation where you can demonstrate to your kid that they're not the only ones. Um, do you, and maybe you, and it's not, don't put yourself in timeout and that kind of thing. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying, are you utilizing tools in front of them where they recognize they're not the only people who have to learn how to breathe and to, you know, take steps to calm down and to back out of a situation rather than escalate a situation. Like they need to see it role modeled. Um, and we need to not look at them as the problem. Instead, we need to say, okay, this kid has a different set of needs. So how do I create situations that if, you know, accommodate or understand these needs. Now, I know parents will say to me, but I can't do that all the time. They still need to get in the car to go to school. They still need to put on shoes to go outside. I get it. Like, it's not going to, every situation is not going to be perfect or or simple. But if in bigger ways, in ways that maybe are less conflictual, we can demonstrate that we are trying to understand them, learning to understand them, um, that we are ourselves taking steps to understand who we are, then they may be more open to conversations about, okay, we need to get in the car and go because they're feeling seen and heard in all these other areas. Well, I think it's also important to understand, and I'm not smart enough to tell you exactly why, but when somebody's completely dysregulated, their brain shuts down. Correct. This so is true. we cannot reason or um, they're, they're not, they're not, playing with all of their tools in that moment. So it's important for us to know that that is a lot of the things that they ordinarily can do when they're not dysregulated is not available. So there's an exercise of empathy. We need to validate their emotions. We need to offer them comfort using simple language and not make it really super complicated. But I think the most important thing is when these meltdowns happen, it's what energy am I coming at this from? Because instinctually, my nervous system goes up when I hear somebody crying, especially if it's one of my children. So can I practice all the tools that I want my kids to practice? Because if you can go in with that energy, it's you're, you're much more likely to have a more productive experience. Well, and what is my belief system about this kid? Is, is it a problem that they're highly sensitive or is it interesting? And mm-hmm. And can we see the benefits of their sensitivity, their heightened sensitivity? Do we, you know, and like you said, they they go very quickly um, to shame or guilt. And that 
the going quickly to shame and guilt is them saying, I know that something's wrong with me, mm-hmm. you know? And, and again, this, this is not a parent blaming thing because all of our kids go to shame and guilt sometimes, no matter what we do, because they're human beings. Um, but it's about understanding that and even saying it in that way. Like I watch you, you know, and maybe like Todd said, when, when your child is highly dysregulated, you're not going to be able to have a deep conversation with them at mm-hmm. that time. I'm always a big believer in have these conversations when these events are not happening. Yeah. It, you know, before bed or take them to breakfast or go on a walk and and talk about, you know, last night when you were so sad. Remember you were so sad and you know, saying things like, is there anything um that I could have done in that moment to support you? And if they're like, no, I'm like they could go either way, like, I don't want to talk about it, or oh, I'm so sorry. And either way, you can say, well, it's okay. Like uh, that's what, that's what happens with emotions sometimes. And it's not about the emotions. It's how we're going to practice moving through them or processing them or talking about them. So they don't feel ashamed by the experience they're having because they can't help that. And then like Todd said, once they've hit that wall, they can't unwind that immediately. And so what you're teaching them is to, that they might react to things differently than other people do. And that's okay, but we also need to then find different tools that work for them. So it's like, you're not being like, that's fine and you can explode anywhere. You're saying the it's not the anger that you're showing or the frustration. I understand that, but then let's practice some other things together. Not because you are the problem, but because you may handle things differently than your brother or your sister or me. And we all have our own tools because my tools are different than Todd's tools Mm -hmm. and JC's tools are different than Cameron's tools. And like we, none of us do the exact same thing for self-care in this family. You ready for number three? I'm ready. All right. Last but not least. Hi, is it common for your child when, when your child is graduating from high school to have this inclination to want to panic and cover all the information you haven't, (laughs) shared with your child yet for several years i've been trying to listen more than i talk or guide with my child and now i have this urge to impart all my impart all my wisdom good grief please tell me i'm not alone no i think that's so common yeah i think we have that feeling before our kids go to preschool kindergarten middle school where we're like wait did i tell them everything they need to know i mean we definitely feel that way when they're graduating high school going to college getting married like we're like wait did i tell you everything here's a suggestion for you so you don't freak out. Um, I would make something for your kid or write some things down and write them a letter that you can give them either now, you, there's, you don't have to wait, or give it to them the day they graduate as a present or the day they go to college if they're choosing to go to college. Like write the things down that you don't think you've discussed or do something creative and fun. This depends on your personality. Put a jar in the middle of the table put a bunch of things in there that you hope you've told your kid and have your kid pull one out every night and read one and say, okay, I just want to make sure I told you that. And maybe have a conversation about it or maybe not. Maybe you just, they just read the piece of paper. The only thing I was going to say is, um, and before you say that, Todd, hold that thought for one. I'm not saying you should be anxious about it. And I, I could very much make you feel as if, no, don't worry. This kid has been in your home for 18 years or however long, I'm sure you've said, done, shown, role modeled things that you're not even aware of. Um, So I don't want you to feel like, yes, you should be anxious. But what I'm saying is sometimes to alleviate our anxiety, we need to take action. And if that action is, I want to just write it all down 
so I know I got it out of my system and I somehow shared it with my kid, then that's a way to do it. Okay, go ahead, Todd. Well, you kind of stole my thunder. Oh, honey, I'm sorry. That's okay. But it's... Hey, friends, who smarted? Did you smart, sweetie? No, it wasn't me. Uh, who smarted is the world's funniest educational podcast for families, from history to science to pop culture. They make learning fun for the entire family. It's beloved by homeschool families and classroom teachers for its ability to spark conversation and natural curiosity. It's the perfect length for car rides or for fun educational breaks during the day. More than 300 original episodes, each under 20 minutes, and packed with great stories and real facts from the trusted narrator. A few of the most recent episodes are titled Why Are Blue Jeans Blue? What Makes Earth Able to Support Life? And What Are Crayons Made Of? You can listen to Who Smarted on any podcast app. Just search for Who Smarted. And now on with the show. Okay, go ahead, Todd. Well, you kind of stole my thunder. Oh, honey, I'm sorry. That's okay. But it's really, for some reason, Rob Bell springs to mind because he did this audio thing about launching rockets. Basically, what his perspective on how to be a good parent, I guess. And he said, "Don't you're teaching them all the time, all the time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're wonderful lessons and sometimes they're not wonderful lessons, but mm-hmm. our kids are learning every day from us, mm-hmm. not by what we say, but how we live, how we interact, how we communicate, how we listen, how we get dysregulated, how we come back to regulation, how we avoid conflict, how we lean into conflict. Like we're teaching them all the time. So I can understand this, the person who wrote this, why they're kind of jacked up saying, I got to make sure I'm, I give them all these lessons. And I think everything you said is valuable and it's seeping in one way or the other. Yeah. And you shouldn't have final answers to anything. Like anything you want them to know, it shouldn't have a period on the sentence. Like you want it's more about what do I want to discuss with them? What do I want to process with them? What do I want? What am I curious about in regards to my kids? But it's not as if you're like, okay, here's the lesson, take it into your brain and use it. That's not the way we teach. I mean, it's the way a lot of people teach, but what I mean is the, what really sticks is a conversation where you honor how they experience something and how you experience something and then finding this place of connection through it. So that in itself, that's why like the idea of, you know, reading things at the dinner table and saying, you know, what I, I've said to my kids whenever I'm writing a Zen parenting moment or I'm writing a new book right now of trying to put it together and I'll just say to my kids, what did I teach you about drinking? What did I teach you about sex? Like, and I'm honestly asking them, like, what, when you think about what you learned in this house, what did I teach you? And then all of them have recited back to me different things. And some of them just give me, you know, one of my daughters just gave me a sentence like blah, 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 blah. And um, another one of my girls was like, she had all sorts of things throughout the day that she was saying to me that she's learned. And some of it was funny and some of it, but we can also ask, you know, to alleviate your anxiety, you can say, Kid, what have I taught you? I'm just curious. Like, recite back to me. Oh, but that's dangerous because they might be like, I don't know. Well, I'm, I, you'd be specific. Yeah. It, like, you would say, what did you learn from your dad and I about, you know, what college is for? What did If they're going to college. Yeah. What did you learn from your dad and I about, you know, human dignity? You know, like, you, be very specific. And, and again... Todd, you may say again, well, ooh, that could be dangerous because then we could feel like, oh, my God, yeah, <laughs> did, did I do anything. it? But if you can maybe dig into the things that you know you did discuss, um, 
you know, I think all of it's valuable. Even if you're like, shoot, did I never speak about this? That gives you an opportunity to speak about sure. it. So maybe we shouldn't be scared of what we're of what we thought we missed because now we have an opportunity. And it's not I we have a kid in college now and we have one going to college in the fall. They're not gone. I just had lunch with my kid in college. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're not done talking to yeah. them. It's not this end all be no. all once you drop them off. It's very momentous. And I'm going to have the exact same experience with Cameron when we leave her at school. Like it is a change. It's an end of an era. It is a it is a shift. It's a milestone. It's a milestone. We've got to honor it. I love the rituals around it. I expect there to be a lot of tears around it. But they also are still there. Yeah. Like you still text well, with them and call them. Well, that's the other thing. Like when we get dropped off, see you at fall break. <laughs> yeah, we'll call you in two weeks. Call you in two weeks. Right. And the world's a lot different. Yeah. All right. So we got about 19 or so minutes for the rest. Sure. Okay. So do you remember the John Kevin book, Full Catastrophe Living? No. Okay. So it's huge. There's like 720 pages in the book. And I. It's too long for a book. I was going to say, I ha- we have it somewhere on one of our bookshelves. But I remember being like, talk about, you know, speed reading and like going through like parts of it. It was years ago. I think it came out in 1990. So that was really early. Um, and I think they redid it in 2013. So it's it's just out there. It's just a John Kevin in book. And for those of you who don't know him, he's um, a meditation teacher. Beyond that, he, you know, basically is one of the founders, or not founders, how do I say this? He brought meditation to the Western world in a way that was um, accessible to people. And he also, he became scientific about it. The things that he was doing with people um, in in his, uh, you know, meditation centers, he was able to gather science around it. They, research. It, the research. And so we actually have information about what meditation does to your brain and body. And we can we owe a lot of that to John Kabat-Zinn and many other teachers. But since we're talking about him, I'll just say he's one of the people who brought it mainstream. And what I loved, what I, why I thought about it is that, okay, so this is going to be a weird shift. So I'm going to shift to Taylor Swift for a second. Like, why do people love Taylor Swift? Like, why is this tour that she's doing the biggest tour? Why are we so obsessed with her life? Why, um, what is it? You know, and again, obviously she's a good singer and, you know, we've grown up with her. Even us adults, we've grown up with her because when we started listening to her, I was like in my early thirties and now I'm 50 and I, you know, we have all these albums, um, And I think if we were to like pinpoint one thing, it's that she's allowed us to walk through her full catastrophe living with her, like her life, her full catastrophic life. And that sentence right there, basically John Kabat-Zinn took that from Zorba the Greek, um, uh, where he said, I actually, I think I wrote down the exact quote, Um, blah, blah, blah. He, I actually don't have the exact quote. It's that Zorba said that someone asked him about who he was, and he said, "I'm married. I have children. I work. It's the full catastrophe." That's that's how he described hmm. life. And what I it's love, a little pessimistic. Well, but John Kabat-Zinn turned it around, Todd, because the truth is, the, all those things carry heaviness, heaviness, yeah. and you can't have the joy mm-hmm. of a partner children and work without also dealing with the challenges of those things for those for people who choose to do work um 
you know, that they love, they may not be making as much money as somebody else because they're choosing work they love. If you choose work you don't like for the money, then you get the money, but you don't get the thing you love. If you partner, then you have a partner, which is wonderful. Um, but there's challenges <laughs> with mm-hmm. having a partner and then vice versa. If you don't partner, then you maybe miss that connection. So the full catastrophe is to take on all the challenges of life. And I think what I love about Taylor and a lot of other artists, you know, I think about people that we really know a lot about their life, like Beyonce or Lady Gaga, or, you know, I used to be a huge Madonna person, is that we we get to walk through stages of their life with them and they go through the same things we do, not not the fame part, but the heartbreak or having children or big decisions or taking being taken advantage of, you know, by business or not being taken seriously, especially when it comes to women. And we get to see ourselves reflected in these people. And, you know, for those of you who follow Taylor, you know that she had a big breakup this year with someone that she had been with. Joe. Joe, Joe Alwyn. She had been with him for, as my girls would say, five albums or three albums. Like she's been writing about him for a long time. I think since Reputation and then she did Lover and then she did Folklore and then she did um, Evermore and then um, Midnights, we, that that album is like a mixture of things from her past, but I think there was some Joe on there. So that's five albums that, that people have been listening to. And when they broke up, people felt it like it was their own. Now we can say, well, then you're just way too into this fandom, but people aren't just feeling Taylor's experience. They're feeling the truth about that not everything stays, you know? Like when when I read to my girls, because I was actually on my phone when all this news broke, I said, you guys, looks like Taylor and Joe broke up. One of my daughters is like, I can't take that in right now. Like it was too much for her because what does that mean? It means something that, you know, Taylor had written a song called The One and Invisible String and Lover and all these things about I finally found you and it didn't work. Yeah, and I don't have, I had no sadness when she broke up with her boyfriend. And I think our daughters had a tremendous amount of sadness because Taylor is a friend of theirs. Yes. Right? So, like, she, yes. somebody you love is going through a breakup, there's pain. So it's normal. And it's also about the story of life. Like, you know, there's the very, I, I totally hear you, Todd. Like, there's the literal, they care about her, they don't want her to hurt. There's that surfacey level. But then there's the truth about life, which is hard, is we still kind of have this romantic ideal about she worked so hard and she went through so much, like the whole, my favorite album is Reputation because of everything she went through, right? I was like, you know, talk about full catastrophe living, you know, it was just, and just the whole visuals of it, it was just dark and gritty and I loved it. And she, you know, everyone watched her walk through all this and then all of a sudden she met this guy. Just a little taste. Yeah. The ties were black, the lies were white, and shades of gray and candlelight. I wanted to leave him. It's interesting though, Todd. Needed a Weird reason. pick because this isn't actually about Joe. That's okay. I like this. Mom's the spot where we fell apart. He poisoned the well. I was lying to myself. I knew it from the first old fashioned. We were cursed. We never had a shotgun shot in the dark. You were so is I, Joe's? Oh, this is pre-Joe, isn't it? This was, as far as what, you know, um, pop culture, or I should say, you know, pop 
what do I cultural literacy what what we have come to understand is that that song is about when she was with Calvin Harris and then she ended up with Tom Hiddleston and it was her trying to get out of that relationship and Tom Hiddleston was kind of a what we call um, like right after you break up with someone and you rebound rebound yeah so that's not really a Joe song but when she was with Tom Hiddleston at the Met Gala that's where she met Joe because That's, you know, that's a whole nother Like song. when Harry met Sally, where Sally's mad, mad that Joe is getting married to the next girl that he dates. That's her rebound. That's, that's, that's supposed to be his rebound. She's not supposed to be the one. She's not supposed to be the one. Okay. So anyway, I think that there are, and, and again, for those of you who don't dig Taylor, think about the musicians or actors or literary figures or authors that you follow and love. Like, what is it? You know, and I think about, like, if I were to go into literature, the two women that I tend to hold up really high on a pedestal, there's three or four actually, but... Yeah, I was going to say. I have a lot of women, but I think about, like, like Mary Pfeiffer, I uh, the way that she has conducted her career and what she did and what she wrote about and the things that have been most important to her, or you know Anne Lamott or um, Anna Quinlan. Like there's there's something about their life that looks like mine that feels like something I want to emulate, and so I follow what they do. Yeah, and um, you know. Um, Anne Merle Lindbergh, like she, she talked about things that we're talking about on this show way before her time. And so we, it doesn't have to be Taylor Swift, but then do you understand how these pop figures or these literary figures, they, they allow us to tap into parts of Of our lives. Yeah, sure. And so I, you know, full catastrophe living, um, is, do you recognize that even when things are good, that they can be, they can go bad. Well, it reminds when... me of, uh, you know, we have the yin-yang sign. Exactly. That's Catastro- our symbol. Catastrophe living is about recognizing that life is filled with both joy and suffering, mm-hmm. and that by embracing the present moment with mindfulness, we can navigate through difficulties with greater resilience, wisdom, and compassion. Yeah. Seems I very mean, Buddhist. Well, it, it is. I mean, it's <clears throat> John Kabat-Zinn, right? Um, and he, but he took, I love the way that this played out because I read it to you that what Zorba the Greek said, and you said, that sounds negative. Yeah. And, and it's really not. He's mm-hmm. like, to say the full catastrophe doesn't mean we're not being optimistic. It, we're telling the truth. Like there is a, a truthfulness in saying, I had kids and I completely lost my freedom. I also gained a deeper sense of compassion, connection, understanding. Um, I had kids and I lost sleep for like 10 years, but I also developed patience, you know, a deeper love, acceptance. How how many examples of catastrophe catastrophe living you think is shared on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok? And that's what it's for. Right. Right. But everybody's sharing how great everything is. Oh, well, you know, that's where I'm going. Well, you know, what's funny, Todd, is you're right. I would say that about Instagram because a lot of them are just screenshots and like capturing perfect moments. But one thing that is interesting on TikTok is a lot of people overshare their catastrophes. Mm -hmm. And so, well, let me say that differently because we're talking about, you know, they share their vulnerabilities where it becomes a selling point where instead of sharing the beautiful, they share the hard. Because misery loves company. Yeah. They're going to get more followers. And they get more followers and people are more interested and people be like, mm. you know, they're pouring out their hearts story and then they're like, come back for part two tomorrow when I share what actually happened. You know, there's and like that's a, when I hear that, I'm like, I'm just being sold a bag of goods. Well, and that's kind of how people think. So 
it, in our world of catastrophes, are we, can we find that gray place where yeah. we recognize that some things are beautiful, but sometimes when we're doing a family picture and everything looks perfect, it was the worst day ever. Yeah. Like we have family pictures in a couple of weeks, Todd. I hate and family I know time. everybody can't stand it. And everyone gets really mad at me on that day. Well, no, that's not true. I think everyone's annoyed. I don't get mad at you. I just hate them. I know. It's not, it's not directed to you. And I... It's not bad because now we go to the field. Right. When, when it was Target Day with yeah. toddlers <laughs> and we don't go to freaking Target, ugh, hated that. I know. And now we're at least kind of on our terms. We're yeah. like outside, at, you know, but it's a hard day because you're trying to capture this version of perfection that doesn't exist. True. You know, everyone wants to look a certain way. You want your hair to be right. You want the perfect smile. You want the perfect back. It's all such a contrived yeah. thing. The thing I'm trying to capture is less about the perfection and more about the moment in time. Because for as much as people get annoyed at me for family pictures, look at our house. Like it's filled with time. Mm. Like here's us then. Here's the girls there. Here's... Oh, I'm grateful that we have it. No exactly. It. In the end, we're happy we have it. But there is it. But can we tell the truth about that day? And can we be like that day is brutal? Mm-hmm. Let's just mull through it rather than smile and be happy. You know, like that's full catastrophe living. So we should take a picture. We should have whoever the photographer person uh-huh. is. We should have them. Um, take a messy pic. Yeah. Like how are you really feeling right now about having to get all dressed up when you re- probably would rather be somewhere else and then show that? Well, this gets really interesting too, because something, you know, candids have always been popular even, you know, way long ago when we had our Polaroid cameras, but candids are now people try and capture the perfect candid. Like, oh, I, I happen ridiculous. to be looking at the ocean or here's my, here's the perfect, you know, like we try and capture these like What about that moments. picture in our bedroom where we're looking just to the right? <laughs> That's our wedding picture. What do you mean the picture? That's like our wedding yeah. picture. It's, I don't get it. It's, it's, a, it's a posed picture and they still told us do to look that, to the right. that stupid pose? I don't know. I it was... just seems like you're either, it should either truly be candid or just look at the camera. Well, so let's think about those two pictures. On our wall in our bedroom, there's two big pictures. One of them is our wedding day where we're looking the wrong way and Todd's always like, why are we looking the other way? And then the other picture is us walking on a trail. Yeah. And we weren't really walking no, on a trail. True. Somebody said walk. Yeah. Plus, and I think it's our. Is it, oh no, it's our front. It's it's, it's the front of yeah, us. Yeah. Got it, got it, the yeah. one of the girls. See now, interesting. We have a picture of the girls in our bathroom downstairs, and that is real. Mm-hmm. That is them. Now your mom dressed them up in dresses. They don't normally do that, but basically they, they're just they're running, just walking around. Yeah. yeah. But ours, it's not real. Yeah. And I know, like when it meaning that. I can capture the essence of that moment, meaning we're just trying to have a conversation in the picture, but it's it's all made up. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's and what we'll name this podcast. It's all made up. <laughs> it's full catastrophe living. It's like some of it, there's truth in the picture and there's also falseness in the picture. Yeah. And do you accept the full picture rather than pretending it's one thing or the other? It's not all pessimistic. It's not all optimistic. It's this place in between. And so, again, endings, I know we have to go. Um, Should we title this podcast, It's Full Catastrophe Living? I don't know how many people are going to tune into that. I know. Maybe we should call it Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> Some people might tune in if it's just Taylor Swift. Some people may. What if we called it Taylor Swift and Full Catastrophe Living? Well, people only read the first two words. At least on my phone, I, I can only see the first two or three words of the title of the podcast, okay. I think. so. Well, we'll work on that marketing stuff in a second. No, but let's do it in real time right now. <laughs> just to, just to uh, finish, um, 
I will be at the Eras Tour this weekend, everybody. And I will be picking you up and dropping you off at Soldier Field because yes. that's the type of guy I am. Yes, Todd will be um, not to... going to the show. He did not need a ticket. He, you want to know offered... why? Because it cost an arm and a leg. Yeah, it was. Uh, some of them did. Some of them didn't. Some of them we got at face value because we're big fans. And then the rest of it, um, not so much. Not so much. Um, so anyway. Um, so I want to say thank you to Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald head of beauty. He does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. 630-956-1800. Give him a call. Have him do a project. He does amazing work. Um, who else? Uh, Sweetie's got a book called Zen Parenting, Parenting Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World. Join Team Zen. Uh, if any guys out there, check out menliving.org. Uh, I also do coaching one-on-one. Anything else, Sweetie? Sounds good. Um, so next week, Field of Dreams. Yes. And the week after that, we'll be, uh, we'll be back. We'll be back. But, uh, yeah. You guys will love Field of Dreams. It's a really good discussion. It's deep. Truth. I had fun doing that podcast. Truth. Keep talking, everybody. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen Circle our very own app that includes our virtual community, exclusive content, and support from us. You could also purchase Kathy's award-winning book, Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World, or subscribe to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com slash resources. And if you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking and we'll talk to you again next week.